Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello, and welcome to Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. I am one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and I have two very special guests with me today that I, I am so excited to talk about. Uh, their newest endeavor, it is the unlikely story of Felix and Macaber. And it is coming out uh, October 31st, Halloween through Dark Horse. And uh, yeah, I, I got to read it. It's a fantastic story. I can't wait to hear all about it. But please uh, welcome to the podcast, Hassan Atzmanelhau and Junie Ba. Uh, Haas, uh, Junie, uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. We're we're a bit, I, I didn't record it. But we're a bit giddily, giddy, or at least I am, as I was trying to make sure I pronounced everything correctly. The title to the book and both of their names. Um, and uh, of it's course, the only Junie, reason we worked together was we thought let's try. And that's why we we came up with a long awkward name for a comic, and we thought <laughs> let's put both our names on it. Um, I know it's fantastic. I I love it. Plus, Junie had to sit through some board game some board game chat. Uh, <laughs> Um, he has to but, do that with me anyway on a daily basis. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I just want to kind of like dive right in. Um, I mean, because, you know, Junie, I'm familiar with your work in terms of your past graphic novel. And Asana, I'm work, you know familiar with your work from lettering and panel by panel. Um, how did the two of you kind of come together on this project? Do you want to? I feel like last time we told this story, Junie, I was incorrect on most of the facts. <laughs> no, no, you're not. Um, so I guess the story starts with me. So I'm I'm gonna tell it. Um, so I was I was uh, in art school about six, seven years ago, maybe a little, yeah, about six years ago, um, and I was using the at the time new YouTube channel of a strip panel naked. Uh, for inspiration, just like looking at like various videos that he did. And in fact, I actually still do it. Uh, I actually still watch uh, Street Panel Naked videos, even when I'm working Get like, I don't know, his analysis on stuff. Um, and so because he was so, so useful in helping me make the comics that allowed me to graduate, I sent him an email that was basically something along the lines of this is what I made. Uh, if you know anyone who might be interested in something like that, pass it on and just look at it yourself um, if you like it. Uh, and he essentially responded with like, yeah, well, let, let's work on a book together instead. Um, and he asked me, what do you want to draw? And I said monsters. And he essentially, he came, he came up with like, I think at the beginning it was just this concept of like monsters and wrestling and talking about the challenges of like masculinity in a way that was very um I want to say accessible to kids but also in a way that doesn't talk down to them like the type of book that you get different lessons depending on how old you are um and it was basically just like the playground for me to work in. Like he told me this is the basic concept. And then we just started talking about what the story would be, what the characters would be like. I would send him sketches of like different character ideas that I had. Uh, the reason why you have the knights in the book, for example, is that I said uh, something along the lines of like, uh, 
So I'm gonna. I, I took his dog and I made him into a dragon. And my logic was, he's a dog, so he drools a lot. And when he drools, the the drool turns into knights, and the knights are his kids. Uh, he said, "Yeah, okay, let's do it." <laughs> uh, and same for like the the referee of the wrestling fights. It's um, I took a very old picture of like an old, not Dracula, the Nosferatu movie, like that, that type of thing. Like that was a very old German image of a giant Batman. Uh, above a city, and I thought it would be nice if he, if the like the roof of the wrestling uh, arena was the referee, like a giant bat. And yeah, same. He just took it and he incorporated it into the story. Like a lot of the book was done in this way of either of us coming up with something, and then the other one develops it into something more afterwards. I just, I, remember, yeah, I just remember getting this email, and I think it was only like I think it was only a few months after I'd started doing the strip pal naked videos on YouTube, yeah. and. Um, and it was yeah, it was just it was Junie, and it was just basically he was just like, uh, it was really sweet because I I had not received I received like a couple of messages from people who were like, this is actually really useful uh, as like a tool for for me to learn like how to make comics kind of thing, which was quite I, I think I was getting my head around the idea that it was useful in that capacity to people. Um, and Junie just was the, one of the first people that had reached out to me and sent me some of his art. And uh, it was really cool. And I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this guy is like a genius. This is incredible. Um, and so I saw it and just, I don't know what it was. I just saw, I felt like a connection to it. And I was like, I, I, like, would this guy be interested in making a comic? That would be really fun. And so I just remember asking him. And then Junie, for whatever reason, for some stupid reason, which he will probably come, have come to a regret sort of six years later, um, <laughs> said yes. And um and then we just started talking, right? And I think we found like we had some like we just felt, I don't know, like again. This is uh, it's really funny talking about this uh, from my experience because I could say all oh, this and Junie's like none of that is true for me. So, <laughs> but I feel like we had some commonalities and like things that we enjoyed and and like sort of little things in our life that we kind of felt like we uh, had experienced similar exp like had similar experiences to and stuff. And we just talked a whole bunch. And I think I think like Junie's right. I think all I had come to him with the idea was like this idea of. Um, monsters getting old uh, that wrestled and like regrets in their life and i think that's probably all i, I had pitched him <laughs> at the time <laughs> and then we just talked like a bunch um about the comic about ideas about stuff we enjoyed and things like that and uh, and then I, I went away and wrote like a five uh, i wrote like five pages for like a pitch and they were like i was felt like you know i was like i was like alan moore or something i wrote these like really dense scripts with like really intricate structures to them and stuff and it was like five pages that was probably like 20 pages of script or something stupid like that it was, it was ridiculous i'd overwritten it and then junie came back to me and he drew i think he was it like 10 pages he'd maybe made those five pages into 10 pages and was like this is what it should look like this is like how it should be paced and uh i was like this is incredible this is insane that's, that's so clever and just understanding what he had seen and done was like a lifetime of comic school just seeing how he'd gone like what you've written is fine, but this is probably what it should be like if we turn this into comics. Um, and then, and then after that, we developed our own little weird, unique system of making and writing this thing, which basically was what Junie said. He was like, "I've come up with this cool idea for something," and I was like, "Okay, I'll figure out a way of working that in." <laughs> and then you'd be like, <laughs> "You're like, I've come up with this other cool idea for something." I'll be like, "We'll figure that. We'll get that in. We'll get that in." Um, it was really good fun. I don't know if that's answered your question, Jimmy, but but it was. Uh, mm -hmm. We just he he reached out to me. And then I guess I took advantage of that to get him to make a comment. No, I, I think you definitely answered my question. Um, 
But just to tell the listeners, the unlikely story of, of Felix and uh, Macabre is essentially Felix is, uh, I think he's he's referred to as a, a little Frady monster in this monster mm-hmm. world where monster wrestling is is huge and circumstances lead Felix to the door of uh, of of Macabre, who is a, a long, like a, a retired, let's say, wrestling you know, champion legend. Yeah. 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 Legend essentially. And their, um, meeting kind of leads to very interesting kind of life changing circumstances for the two of them. Um, I was wondering, was, was Felix always, you know, talking about how it came together, the idea of monsters and wrestling, but like, when did Felix actually enter it? Like, was that after was that an idea that you had had, Haas, or was that when Junie kind of took those five pages and made it into ten and said, you know, Felix should kind of be the heart of this? I thought, like, I, I, my, Junie really built Felix. I think like that's like his creation, as far as I am concerned. Like, I, it's it's I, I had we had this structure, and it, and it needed it needed the old grizzled guy, and it needed the young, like nervous kid. And I, I like I think that's as much credit as I can claim for how like sort of brilliantly devised Felix is. All that all that like beautiful design work of his like jumper and this like that like kind of like scared face that his jumper has, and how that how that uh design transmutes as we see him later on at the near near the end of the book. All I mean, that's all just absolutely genius Juni work. I can't take any credit for that. He he took that idea and concept and like I mean, this is the fun thing of working with Juni, right? Is that because he because he writes and draws his own stuff anyway, he has like a real good knack for storytelling and visual, like re, like clearly visual storytelling as well. Like we can we could talk and say I could say to him like this image needs to be a low angle shot looking up at this monster because we need to you know it needs to be low angle looking up at this monster. We see Felix in the bottom left corner being really small. Or what I could just say to him is I could just say. We need we need to have this moment where like Macabre like terrifies this creature, this little monster or whatever. And Junie understands like how to turn that. He doesn't need my my direction as much. If that makes sense. I'm really kind of belittling my own input, but I do I do think it's important to <laughs> to, to, to specify like how what working with Junie is like because it is it is work. It's like working with another writer as well as an incredible artist. Like the the stuff that he brought to it, and Felix is just a great example of it. Like that. There's so much of him and his design sensibility and and himself as well as in that character um, that it's hard to separate. I mean, I find I know where to separate the line between what was him and what was me. But I think when we talk about it, like it's quite difficult when you think of what a writer's responsibility is and what an artist's responsibility is. Um, he really developed that that character, and it, it wouldn't be anything without what he did. He really built it. It's really, I think he's. I'm just saying a lot of great stuff about how great Junie is. But yeah, he that was definitely a Junie creation. I would say. Well, that's fine. We like to hear that. We like to hear collaborators talk about how great working with the other is. Junie, one of the things I really love is just how much there there actually is on the page. And I mean, so many little details where I didn't think it, it, it could have gone a, 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 a bunch of different ways when you're telling a story visually. But ev- everything from Felix, from the clothes, from Caber, from the houses, they're... they're there's just there's monsters everywhere. There's so many little things that influence um, the the tone of the story itself. Uh, I just thought was 
you know, fantastic. I mean, talking about wanting to draw monsters, there's so many just like wild designs in here for creatures that are familiar yet very, you know, unique. Um, were there, you talked about before we started recording, you were talking about, you know, like influences, you know, and, and like reference for something else. Like, was there anything in particular you kind of reached to for the design of the characters for this? Um, I think there was a bit of Tim Burton in it. Like the idea was, um, so the, you know how Tim Burton was inspired by German expressionism? lot in the way that he designs things like his his movie sets especially like you can see wonky buildings and a lot of like goth, gothic uh, vibe to it so i thought okay I'm, i want that vibe but i'm not going to look at tim burton himself i'm going to go look at the stuff that he was looking at. so i actually watched i think it was the cabinet of dr caligari oh okay uh, that was the first one which is also how i came up with the bat thing is because i was looking at really old um pictures of like movies and uh, drawings and stuff like th th this vibe of uh, 20th century people who came up with creepy things, Cre creepy things. <laughs> especially the Germans for some reason. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. And, and from then it was kind of a mix of that and trying to make everything look softer. Um, not just because you, you're doing it for kids, but also because it's from the perspective of a kid. So everything had to look a bit more cartoony. And that's when my background as a very avid Cartoon Network watcher comes into play. Um, because I, I think my brain has absorbed the visual language of um, late 90s, early 2000s Cartoon Network. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, know, I know those shapes way too well. And sometimes I will draw a thing and I'm like, yeah, that, that's just Dexter. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, most of it came up this way. And then the rest is like looking at art from different, different cultures as well and also trying to design monsters based on mixing things from different animals but also objects. Or weirdly enough, like even like when you look at different cultures, they have, especially the, the more pagan ones, you have a lot of like um, ritual costumes, like they dress as spirits and animals and stuff like that. And some of them came in, come in very interesting shapes. And and you just take that and you're trying to figure out how to how to how to turn that into like if it was an actual living thing what would it look like, and then you have a monster. Uh, yeah, so a lot of it came that way, like just trying to fill the panels with as many weird things as you can, and then once in a while you put the reference to something you like. So in the first chapter you have a phone, a, f a phone under the um, what's it called again, street lamp. Uh, oh, yeah. There's a double spread where Felix is being chased, so you have a Narnia reference there. Uh, there's a flashback where Makaba is fighting a bull monster in the crowd. There's a Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog and their children. Oh. Yeah, so like I, I try to just put stuff, um, and I think I have sort of an insecure tendency to think that my art isn't detailed enough, so I tend to put as much stuff as I can to try and make it fit. I, I, I got to go back and see uh, Kermit and Miss Piggy because I, <laughs> I, I miss them. I definitely caught Mr. Tumnus as uh, Felix yeah. was, was running through, um, which was visually, I, I, I found, I really liked that sense of movement, that how those panels were broken up and, and put on the page. That sense of him, you know, trying to get away and like 
his his path i felt had a really great like visual flow to it i thought was a lot of fun to read and i i i really like that nice i think a thing with junior i was gonna say the thing with junior as well like is uh again just to talk about how how great he is is like the thing that i i knew after we did that first five pages and we kind of got a sense of each other and we i mean we like i mean like we literally would speak for hours and hours and hours every week just just on skype just like talking through these things and like I would send Junie script pages and see what he thought and get responses and stuff. And we, we eventually figured out this, like this script system that worked, that worked really well for us. And, um, but one of those things was knowing that it makes life so much easier when you're writing something, knowing a, who the person is that's going to be drawing it, but also mm-hmm. their kind of sensibilities and how they work and what they, what they will do with your, with your work. It makes it so much easier to, which is helpful. I think for a younger reader book as well, a mid grade book, to not overload it with tons and tons of dialogue. And it helps that I know that he, that I didn't need to write what was happening in the, in the dialogue because it would be uh, apparent through his work. And that's a big thing with like, you look at his like monster designs and I think you can pick out any of those monsters and you get like a sense of who they are just from their, like their design. Like you take one image of Felix without any dialogue or context and that jumper and that like sad face on his jumper and that kind of like protected the kind of like big fluffy thing that he wears, like, that there's so much uh context in that image alone that you don't need to write too much uh dialogue wise and that was really helpful and i think that also helps with like getting juni to i say getting juni to this is it's just what he does but are leaving the space for juni's work to be able to tell you the story like you don't need to overload it with me going like oh this person's sad because of this thing you can leave these those silent moments and you know it will be sold because he's so good at doing those designs and that character acting um just to piggyback again, just to say some nice things about you. Uh, Haas, I, I wanted to ask you in terms of, you know, how how, how I have no idea how many different books uh, you've lettered. Um, I've 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 read a fair number of them, um, but has seeing so many different scripts when it comes to lettering, like how has that affected how you like write a comic? And do you think that influences you more, or does having a collaborate collaborator like Juni? influence you more in terms of how you tailor your scripts it's you know it's, it's interesting because you see you see lots of scripts where the writer doesn't know who the artist is and like i think you can always see that in the scripts um and they have to be written a certain way because it's almost like it's almost like you have to like artist proof a script sometimes if you don't know who's going to draw it, it's really hard to it's really hard to leave it open because you know it needs to do a certain thing. And if you don't know who's going to draw it, you don't know what their approach will be to the imagery that you want on the page. And so you have to write in a certain way to allow the context information that you need for the story to work to get across. And a lot of the time that just comes through in dialogue. It's the easiest way, it's the easiest way to like make sure that that thing is conveyed as clearly as possible. Um, but also you, you, you're working with audiences that don't necessarily that aren't necessarily like locked in to read the pictures as a primary source of information rather than just reading the words as a primary source. And I think the benefit we had doing this as a, as a mid-grade book is that I think kids do read the pictures a lot more than adults necessarily. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. like when having seen, you know, watching, seeing kids having read comics and, and like kids in my family having read comics, you can see that they've read, they look, they look at the pictures, they read the picture a lot more than adults. Um, and so that, uh, was also helpful in the way that we approached writing it. But I think the the big thing that I learned from from uh, 
from seeing a lot of scripts is that I think I think the best scripts that I've seen are the ones that are like a direct communication with the artist. That they're not just like a blueprint for someone else that someone could just follow, but they're like a story being told. And that's one thing that I tried to do with Junie was I tried to give him a script that wasn't page ten, panel one. This needs this needs to be this panel two. This needs to be this. But I tried to tell him the story uh, visually in through words, so that when he read the script, he could see the the page, he could see the panels, he could see the action. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was, uh, if I managed to pull that off, is for Junie to answer. But that was kind of my approach. Was I? He's he's my co-writer. He's my co-collaborator on the book. So the best thing I can do with him is just try to paint a picture in his mind to allow him to turn that into the into the comic. Like I figure, like that's kind of essentially always the role of a of a comic writer is just to tell a story to the artist, and then the artist can tell the story, you know, through their art onto the page. Um, and that's what we're all trying to do is just pass a story on to the next person who then turns that, you know, we have this, you've got the writers are right, you've got the story in your head, you turn it into words to paint a picture. The artist takes those words and literally paints the picture. Um, and then each process kind of does that same thing. And so that's all, that's what I tried to do. And we worked in a way that was very, very different than like 99% of all the scripts that I've ever received as a letterer. I think I, like I, the script that we did for this was weird in a very weirdly unique Um yeah. <laughs> the best, yeah. But the best thing I got from that is that is when you see the scripts where they're like tailored to the artist. They are direct communication to the artist. They're not too dictate dictatory. Not 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 quite the, what I mean. They don't dictate too much, but they convey and they uh, kind of imagine and inspire. I think that's like the mm-hmm. the most powerful scripts because then you're you're utilizing the strength of the person you're working with. They're not just like an art bot that just churns out the thing that you've described. They're they're they bring their, they're allowed to bring their personality and, and their, their, their approach to it. And that makes that comic unique. Um, and I, like, I hope, I feel like we got that with Felix and Macabre. Um, I feel, if, to me, like, it feels like a Junie book when I, like, when I read it, it like feels like this, it feels like it fits within his like oeuvre of work. If that's the right, if that's the correct term, just try to sound yeah. smart. For a second. Um, <laughs> but like, like, and I think that was, you know, based on that approach was, I, like there's something really cool. I'd say what I really like is like Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson when their scripts always have, and a lot of people do this, but that that's just who sprung to my mind when I was thinking about it. They always start their scripts with like a letter to the artist and everyone else as well as involved. In it. Like you just dip, you just dipped out for a second, Haas. Huh? Oh, am I? I'm back. You're back. I, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So back. like Lonnie, Lonnie and Zach would all, always start their scripts with like these letters that said like this is what we're doing. This this was our inspiration. This is the sort of music we were listening to. Like. You know, if you want to change anything, change anything. But this is just to get into the headspace of where we are at. And I always mm-hmm. think that's a really, it's like a really good approach to, to the, to, to thinking of scripts because they comic scripts are their own weird, unique thing. It's like it's not like any other medium scripts. They're they're very strange kind of letters to someone specifically, but that still have like a lot of technical detail in them. Um, so every, yeah, I don't. Again, I'm I'm very much like a rambler, Jimmy, as this all. That's all right. I, I I usually am too, but um, you know, it's 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 somewhat early where where I'm um I am. Uh, it's like you know, I've had a coffee. 10, I've had I'm ready. 10 a.m. I'm ready here. I'm happy to let the two of you take it and and run. Um, folks, folks that listen to this are tired of hearing from me anyway. They don't, well, I don't know. They don't I don't know. Like me. we haven't. I suppose we haven't, we haven't talked about it like a ton since. But I like it was it was very much like the script was very much one of those things where we. You know, we were in constant communication. So the script was like a weird document where it it was like the official thing to work from. But we were, I mean, we were literally talking like 
must have been every day at the time. Um, so it, it was strange because I'd send Junie's script and then we'd talk about it as well. So it was a weird living document. But yeah, the script was very, um, it was almost like prose. So I would write like, this is kind of what I see happening on the page. This is like what the page is trying to do, uh, like for the story and emotionally. And I would, tr I would not give him panel breakdowns, but I would, I would imply them <laughs> by the way that I sort of formatted and wrote the script. So like for my example, I think was, this isn't in the script, but like, you can guide someone when you write something uh, like a like a film script or a comic script. So you can, if you write, for example, um, we see John walk into a room. He runs in fast. He grips the door handle. Uh, he swings the door open uh, and disappears and runs through disappears. If you put an emphasis when you write that, so you could just say John runs into a, a, a classroom, opens the door, runs through it. Right? You maybe picture that in a big wide shot. But if I wrote John runs into the classroom. Uh, we see sweat on this, you know, he's sweating heavily. He grips the door handle. He pulls it open. I think you visualize that in a different way than if I just said, John runs into the classroom, pulls the door open, runs through it. So I was kind of trying to guide Junie to what I felt were like important visuals, but without saying to him, like, you have to draw this. <laughs> you have to draw the hand on the door handle as a separate panel. I was just kind of saying, like, this is how I would tell you that story, and this is the important information. Um, but you'd have to ask Junie if, if that was... if how he felt about the script. All right, fellow cryptids, now seems like a good time for a break. I'm always looking for a way to display my comics, but unfortunately, I am not very handy or crafty, as it were. Luckily, I have come across Crafty Comics, and they have a way for you to display your comics, even uh, comic books that are already slabbed, if that's your kind of thing. I recently got a flex frame, which has customizable backings and interchangeable border colors. I was able to put in a frame a comic book. It's Batman Elmer Fudd, uh, number one by Tom King, Lee Weeks. It's signed by both. It's one of my uh, favorite signed comics that I got at Baltimore Comic Con. And I was able to figure it all out. It looks great in the frame. And I can't wait to get it up on the wall. It was super easy. And I have a slew of comic books now. And uh, much to my wife's chagrin, I think I'm going to create a wall of some of my favorite signed comic books. Um, and Crafty Comics was super easy to use. And I like that you can have a different border color along the background to kind of go along with the theme of the cover art. And yeah, it was a, it's great. And uh, I absolutely love it. So check it out. It's Crafty Comics, C-R-A-F-T-I-C-O-M-I-C-S dot com. Use the discount code YETI5 and get 5% off your order. And now, back to the Cryptid Creator Corner. Yeah, I, I want to. I mean, Junie, how, in, in terms of something like that, where you're not just, you know, handed a script where it is like a, a living, breathing document, was it difficult in, in terms of if it didn't flow from... You know, if you were working on different sections of the story, and I guess the second part of that was like, did you, you know, how how did you work within that approach to take that type of? Oh, there goes my wife running behind me. <laughs> um, how did how did you uh, take? There she goes. How did you how did you take that? You know, those things from the script, and then like break it down into the panel breaks downs that we actually see in the story. Um, 
So the thing is, I had never worked with anyone before. Uh, I had always written my own stuff, and I've never, I, I think even now, I've never actually made a script. I made, I made lettering script, but I was after the fact, more so that like the letter has something tangible to use. Um, but as a as a um, as a writer, I never I never used scripts. Um, so that was my first time working with someone, and to this day, I still consider it the best script I've ever had. Um, mostly because of the level of freedom that 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 it that it gives you, like the. Um, and plus, the story was really good. Like there was a sense of like. <laughs> Because like I, I still remember every time I received pieces of where the story was going, my first reaction was always "This is so good." Um, mostly because like as as good as the final comic page is, it can only be so good if the story that you receive works. Like you, you need you need the script to already be doing a lot of the heavy lifting of of telling you what the emotions are, kind of. And basically everything was in it. Like I, I, I don't think I added much of anything through drawing that wasn't already present and implied in the writing itself. Um, so yeah, like it was a blast to work on because it was a lot of freedom of essentially giving me all the ingredients and giving me the freedom of figuring out how they're going to be put together in a way that works visually. That was the best. Like I've worked on other scripts where there's a lot more work that needs to be done of like I'm given I'm given say an actual paneling that I'm supposed to adhere to and it just doesn't work and you can tell that the person who made it doesn't doesn't think visually in that way. Um or or they give you a script with a story that works but doesn't have the same level of clear thematic um Transparency, I guess, as as uh, Felix and Mac had. So yeah, it would, to this day it's still the best script I've worked on. I think that I'm um, like I think there were a couple of times. I feel like maybe there was like one or two pages where I was very specific. There's like one page, but I might be wrong. I might be misremembering this. But I remember there's like there's like a page, for example, that happens when when Macabre, who's like the old grizzled veteran, has like a flashback moment to his youth. Uh, Junior will be able to tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm about to take credit for something. That wasn't <laughs> me. But the, I feel like there was one or two times where I was kind of like, maybe we should do this as like a nine panel grid. And this is what I'm thinking, like put this image kind of in the middle or whatever. But, I, but it was really, and there was one or two times where there's just a white page where I, you know, I took full control of that. And I said, Junior, let's just do a white page. Don't draw yeah. anything else. I'll take full credit for, the, for, for all the white pages. But I don't have any drawing <laughs> on them. That was... Yeah, Structurally, that was all me. I'll take, I'll take those. Um, but, <laughs> but the the um, it was it's it's one of those things. Where it's like it's like I think I think of it like from a filmmaking point of view, where when you write a when you like write a screenplay, you don't write the camera angles. You don't like write the the individual shots or specific angles. At least for, you know, like when you're trained formally, that's not really what you how you're meant to write a screenplay. It gets given to a director, et cetera, and they, they kind of go through and break that down to into a shooting script. But the actual screenplay itself isn't written like that because you want the personality of the person that you're working with, the visual director, right, to, to, to come through. And I, like my job on this book was not to be the visual director. That's, I, like, that's very much what Junie was doing. And so I just wanted to make sure that I didn't, I wanted to give him space to play, give him enough information that he had to like 
to work with that he wasn't just like lost on page 80 going like what well, i don't know what to draw here because you've just written do something <laughs> to finish mm -hmm. this sequence so give him enough to work with give him some inspiration hopefully um uh but yeah but not just not be too just not be too defined but it's 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 one of those things sometimes you have to call something out like sometimes it, i was like you know i think we just need to do this kind of thing here um, like I think with like the there's a spread when you reveal like there's a, a reveal of a of a life of a character. I kind of think we I don't think I call that ex explicitly, but like you know we talked about like structurally what could that look like. Um, so yeah. we were like a sounding board for each other and figuring out you know this could work like this visually on the page. But I mean you know what I mean Junie knows what he's doing. This is the, again this is just saying the same thing really. It's just the benefit of working with someone who is also a writer and also a great storyteller, visually great storyteller. You you can. I can just rely on them. I could write, you know, they just look at each other meaningfully and you just know you're going to get like an incredible sequence from that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm curious, Junie, because um, a couple of things. One, I always think it's very difficult to, you know, with comics and this, you know, a visual medium to really bring out the emotion of like non-human characters. to like to show that in a, a because we were... We know what we know what emo when we see a human's face, like we know what emotion that is because that's what we're used to. But I really think it's very difficult to do that. And I was really surprised, especially with like Macabre's, like the older grizzled guy, how much emotionality was in a lot of the the artwork and the paneling. Like I just thought that was exceptional. Um, uh, and I, I and I didn't. I at first I thought maybe it was you know because it was geared more to like a middle grade kind of book. But I, I think that has to just, you know, reading the rest of the story, it has to just be you in terms of like really bringing that out of those characters. I really thought that was well done. Nice. Thanks. Is that something that you find like challenging considering like the other books that you've done, Monkey Meat and uh, uh, Talia? I like drawing weird things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... I don't know. Like, I, I would say the one thing that comes naturally is character expression. Okay. I'm not exactly sure why, but even right now, I'm working on something that is very architecturally heavy. Uh, every time I get to a panel with like buildings and everything, I'm like, oh my God, again. Uh, but every time I get to a page where, where it's nothing but faces and characters emoting, I'm excited because I know what I'm doing in that area. Uh, that and fight scenes. I like drawing like action, like and and I don't know limbs moving really quickly and stuff. Like I I I think that and expressions, those two things are handled pretty well. Um, and for Macabre, that's there, why our book was basically just fight scenes and then <laughs> emotions. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of a lot of the pages of of drawing, especially for this book. There's one page especially where like I. Um, so you know how in, when 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 an actor has to portray a character, they have to sort of like figure out where the emotions are in themselves, like try to find some way to relate to that character to feel the same emotions. Sure. And I did the same thing with this book a lot of the time. Of like, okay, so right now he's feeling this way, and I had to like sometimes sit down and try to figure out, okay, what can I find in my own like memories that I can, that can bring back those kinds of feelings. There's even a page where I started crying um, because like it was bringing back a lot of a lot of like old uh, pain, I guess. Um, so for Macabre, there's a lot of trying to 
convey my own emotions when I'm drawing him. Of yeah, the face is just gonna the face is gonna uh, congeal all the pain that I'm feeling inside. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and then there's the challenge of trying to figure out how everything works because his mouth is very weird. Uh, I think a lot of the emotions went into the eyes and the and the the, um, uh, the eyebrows. Like trying to figure out how to make his forehead and his eyes work in such a way that they convey a lot of the emotions. And the mouth works as well, but like it's a bit harder because he has that he has a, he has a weird like jaw thing that doesn't really move. Um, and the easiest character to have emotions. To take to, to like portray emotions from with Felix, like the the he's, he was designed for it, like the big round face with the huge eyes. He, that that one was very easy. So yeah, I guess the big challenge was uh, was Macabre. The dog maybe a bit as well. But that's <laughs> he has an actual face of like an actual animal that exists. So <laughs> I look at pictures of his dog, and I was like, how do I make you look sad? Um, that's what I was going to say was the thing. So like Kilnver, this big giant like dog guy that lives in a big like volcanic mountain thing. Um, uh, it's a fun book, I think. It's um, <laughs> the, I think that was the, the the really because it is it is like a book about in a, a sense essentially it's about uh, emotions and then violence and um, fun fun for a younger reader. But um, it's I think yeah. a big a big part of what makes it palatable, I think, because. I don't know. I think I, like we had a long, a lot of discussions about like if it was too sad um, as a as a story, and I think of what a lot makes it kind of um, palatable is probably too strong a word, but ac more accessible is the, the is Junie's designs, and that there is like a cartoonishness to a lot of the characters. But what Junie does is, uh, and again, this is kind of foundational to the way that the comic works. Like it would be impossible to make this comic without this element of it, but he can take the, the cartooned characters and turn them into something really ferocious, like instantly. There's a moment with Kilnver and, and Macabre where they have an argument and it goes from this really peaceful, almost funny, I think, moment of like, because Junie plays with the scale of this giant dog that is like used to be best friends or used to be friends with Macabre. Right. You've got this Macabre, who Macabre has spent the entire comic thus far being the biggest thing in it, essentially. And then we reach this scene where he is now tiny. He's like the size of a mug uh, on this big dog's table. And that's fun. And so this is silly kind of funny cartooned world that, that, that Junie's drawn. And then in like a, a panel, he somehow manages to take that same design and turn it into just this really, I think, really scary, like ferocious creature that upends like your entire feeling about it, I think, so far. He kind of felt like this kind of almost like grandfatherly character. And in the space of one panel, he turns into this terrifying monster that still wholly exists within the design that he's like created thus far. And I think that's like one really big strength of, of A, doing monsters, because where you don't have to rely on like the human form too much, you can cartoon it a little bit, but also Junie's skill of, of taking these like elements and understanding what's like pivotal to each design of each character and knowing how to twist that into like fun. And then horrible and angry, right? <laughs> and then sad. Um, and he's got he's got a real knack of like nailing down those points. I think like we keep talking about Felix as jumper, but like Felix's design with his his little ears and his and his big eyes and everything is really cleverly done in a way that you can do so much expression without ever losing 
the kind of tangibility of the of the of the character, which is all really serious talk for a book that is also aimed at like mid grade kids. Uh, mm-hmm. To say that the designs are just really fun as well. I think that's the, like that's just yeah. the cool part of it. I think they're just really. F- I think I like for me. I feel like I would love a little Felix plushie. I'd love a Macabre plushie as well. You know, just for yeah. you're a bit annoyed. <laughs> I I I when we get to the part in the book with uh, with with Kilvner, and I think this is kind of a testament to how both of you work. I did, and also my own failing that I still tend to even doing this for the past couple of years, still tend to read comics too fast. I don't, I didn't think I realized at first the difference in scale. And I just thought from like the posture of Kilvner and his dialogue, he seems so small. And when you get to the one panel where you really see both of them in it and realize how much smaller Macabre is in, in terms of the scale, I was kind of shocked. And I was like, went back and read it again. And I was like, oh no, it's like, it's all there. I just went a little fast, but there's so many interesting things about Kildner and about he's kind of seems all alone and then you realize you know he's not because like his saliva turns into these little knights which is like bizarre <laughs> and bonkers and I, I I mean I love that when I saw it like happen on the page I was like that's like the best thing I've seen <laughs> <laughs> that's like such a weird idea as to how ha- how do you get minions or whatever it is like yeah that's that was great um but I was kind of I was shocked when I saw that scale because there were so many there were so many different elements in both in the dialogue and the drawing of Kilner that made him seem like a lesser character in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when that switch happens, it is kind of shocking um, to see well, what ha- what goes on between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a like a you know a big part of this is about like Macabre is is to Felix is this really big you know he's I mean. It's pretty much the biggest thing in, in Felix's world, up to, you know, up to, up to a certain page count in the comic. Right. But he's he's kind of this larger than life monster, um, and but part of that with Macabre is is that even he belies his size. So even when you see him later on with bigger monsters, there's something about his like anger and ferocity that allows him to be bigger. And Junie, I mean, Junie literally like there's a there's just a really fun sequence of pages in the middle when you have this interaction between. Uh, Kilnbra and uh, Macabre, where you lose that sense of scale, purposefully lose that sense of scale, because his his anger is so palpable <laughs> that he just becomes bigger, right? He's just naturally, like, his presence is so much fiercer and more ferocious. Um, and again, that's just like a fun, it's such a fun cartoon comic and thing where you can do that. Like, well, I don't think we do that necessarily enough in comics. Like, we don't have to be beholden to reality all the time. Like, this, these right. things are just artifice on the page. And being able to pull stuff off like that, like, that does he really become bigger? I don't know. I don't. I mean, no, he doesn't. But like in, in the moment, he is bigger, and he's physically bigger on the page as well. Does that mean he's bigger in real life? No. But you know, that's the fun of comics is right. you're able to to play with that se- like sense of scale. I thought in terms of we um, and Haas, you just mentioned this about the drawings, the the artwork, kind of uh, uh, lending to the accessibility for like middle grade. But um, I by any I, I don't think after reading it that it was it's um I, I don't want this to come out the wrong way, like an easy read. Like I feel like it meets the middle grade reader like on a level that a lot of middle grade books don't. I mean, I, I have a mm-hmm. 10, she's almost 11 and a six-year-old, and we read a lot of comics. My uh, 
my older uh my oldest daughter really likes manga you know they they've always have read comics and graphic novels and you know i like to read some of the stuff that they're into and i will check it out and I, I feel like there aren't a lot of books that will that that are afraid to be too challenging to a middle grade reader and i didn't feel like this at all like i didn't fe- i i felt like it really um kind of like really had something to say to like that age group and wasn't afraid of like like watering it down or like mm-hmm. spoon feeding or making it an easy read, which I thought could not have been like easy to do. And there had to be, I would think some like trepidation, like in, in putting that together, like the, the kind of like the message of this, uh, you know, thematically was that, were there conversations about that at all? Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's, <laughs> that was kind of the main, the main thing we talked about. I think, it's one of those things where I think, you know, you're trying to get a balance of something that adults would be able to read. It's kind of like this, like the Pixar thing, right? It's like the Toy Story thing, where Toy Story for a kid is a very, very different movie than Toy Story for an adult. And even though you're watching the exact same thing, you know, there's no difference. So we were, that's, that, was the, that was what I wanted to try and do uh, when writing it, was get that. Uh, where I think an adult, re- what a, an adult and a kid will take away from it is vastly different because a kid is seeing the book through through uh, Felix's eyes, and that story, as you can see from what happens to Felix as the comic goes on, that story is very very different than the story that Macabre's living through. Right. Uh, sure. And so I don't I don't think I think as an adult you the idea would be that you would gravitate more towards Macabre because I think you will have more experiences in life similar to what he's going. Through. Whereas a kid, I think, is probably more like having a fun time with these fun designs and this fun Felix character. And I, my feeling, and also having seen younger people read it, is that the ending doesn't hit quite as uh, depressing <laughs> for a younger <laughs> reader. Because actually, what happens for a younger reader is they follow Felix's story, which is a story of being scared and getting bullied, and they see a kind of growth story in that. I think mm-hmm. an adult sees the ending and sees a very, very different uh, thing happening. I don't want to talk to you yeah. about the ending. Sure. Um, because I, the whole book was kind of designed to uh, say, okay, this is the story that you've maybe seen before, and then go, actually, not quite in these various different ways. Um, but yeah, th- that was always a struggle, was the ending went through a f- bunch of different permeations. And also, even when it was finished, I was still unsure and I went back and tinkered with it and Junie talked me out of it, which I appreciate him doing. <laughs> um, and there was a ton, we made, uh, there was like a ton of different little changes and things and the ending, ending uh, dialogue was ch- changed more times than Junie even saw, I think. And that was already, he already saw a few different versions of it. Um, so there was a lot, there was a lot that went into it. I think I feel happy about, about it, about how it's, how it works and the ending, but it's, it's it's an interesting ending. I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. It's it's a, it's a fun ending. I, I do think it. I do think it changes depending on your age. I think you'll. Yeah. A, a fun thing we talked about as well was like we like the idea of like someone reading it when they were like twelve or thirteen, and then reading it again when they were like twenty five, and there it would almost be like I I feel like it would almost be like two different stories if you did that. So we we also we thought that was kind of a fun element of it too. Yeah, but I really, I really don't think kids will read it and then at the end be quite as miserable, maybe as 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 the adults that I've read it have felt. <laughs> I, well, I, I I definitely agree with that. I think um, I probably 
take took away something different from it than I think if um when my my older daughter read it reads it then then she will um mm-hmm. but yeah I I didn't feel depressed at the end of it but I <laughs> certainly uh, appreciated uh appreciated it. I mean Junie what do you, is there anything you have to to add to that is you agree with what you know Haas said or is he just making stuff up again I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious to see because like I haven't I haven't been able to like see what the kid would think of the book uh so I guess my main my main anticipation I guess is being able to know what kids think uh which I mean the book comes out at the end of the month so and maybe I thought Bubble we might be able to get some feedback. <laughs> yeah. Like people who have who have read it or who just bought it and then we get to ask them uh, afterwards, like because yeah, I guess I guess that's my big question of like how how depressed were you and what did your kid think? <laughs> okay, well I'll ask Charlotte to, I'll ask Charlotte to read it and then I'll let you know what, what her takeaway was. Well I think I think the, the thing is is like it's 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 so hard to it's hard to talk about without talking, just directly talking about it. But yeah. um it it's the the ending of the book hinges for an adult, I think, on understanding the idea, which is a very adult idea, of uh dreams and memories and regrets and decisions and but that play out over a long period of time like a 12 year old doesn't really have a frame of reference for that um and so i I think a lot of that stuff was designed to go over the head of a reader but there's Mm -hmm. still a satisfying conclusion i think to a younger reader who because at the end of the day you know like felix starts out the book one way he ends the book in a different way and that is a Mm -hmm. victory for for page one felix that's it you know he's come a long oh. way by the end of the book yeah and absolutely in one sense he has achieved the thing that he set out to do at the start of the book that has that has that has worked i think right the whole the whole kind of you know essence of the book is about that idea between the the childhood concept and the reality that happens in, in adulthood and so it's hard i don't a kid doesn't really have a I, you know they don't really have a frame of reference for the 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 sadder side of that part of the right. book. Um, so for, yeah, from my experience of, of younger people having read it, that that bit of it was kind of not really like in their perception. Mm-hmm. It was more the, you know, this character did right. something great by the end of the book. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll ask Charlotte <laughs> to read it and I'll get back to you with, uh, yeah. with her review. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's good. It's, it's good. But again, it's, yeah, it's a real hard balance, man. It was a real hard balance. Like, as I say, it really it's 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 scary enough coming up with something like that and trying to put some heart into it, but it's also terrifying when you're trying to make it hit two different points uh, and two different audiences at the same time. Mm-hmm. If we pulled it off, like, as I say, like it's up to it's up to readers to decide if we pulled it off. But I think we've you know, Junie was always happy with it. He was always very confident about it, and I've come round <laughs> as time's gone. <laughs> Well, I, I I really I really enjoyed it, and I I mean I just thought there's 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 a lot in it that I got out of it, I, and I was not depressed at the end of it, but I had a lot of <laughs> I had a lot of thoughts about it, which I don't want to get into now because I think it'll you know give too much away. But um, yeah, it's definitely something that I want to like sit with and then go back and and read again, and I do I I, I want to get Charlotte to read it and see like kind of her approach and like what she takes away from it because that's kind of interesting. Like, does that does what happens to Macabre kind of like glance off her? Does she get anything out of that? Or does she just see like Felix's journey? Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I really loved it. I, so I can't wait to, for other folks to start reading it and then get to talk to them about it and see what, <laughs> what they thought and what they got out of it. But, um, yeah, I, I thought it was great. I wish you guys the, the best of luck and I really appreciate you both being, you know, um, on, uh, on the podcast today for what, what me, what, what for me is Saturday morning. So I guess Saturday <laughs> afternoon for the two of you. So I, I really appreciate we were able to work this out. No, thank you for having us. It's, uh, it, well, listen, as you can tell from my weird rambly answers, whenever I get a chance to just talk about comics, <laughs> it's, it's fun. Um, but yes, I, anything else you want to mention to folks that are listening to this? I mean, I'm going to try and get this out right before the, the issue comes out at the end of the month. Is there anything else you want to tell folks to check out? Well, Junior, you've got another book. <laughs> True. Um, I have, I mean, by the time this uh, podcast comes out, it would have been out. Um, so yeah, so time of recording next week, uh, Mobilis, my next book with TKO is coming out. Uh, it's a graphic novel of like, it's a massive book, like in terms of size, mostly because I really wanted, I, I basically took the concept of Captain Nemo and I reimagined it as a sort of post-apocalyptic adventure between him and a child and trying to figure out how to create a relationship together of like parent-child and all the trauma that comes with being the last survivor of the world, essentially. Um and the whole thing comes in a massive book because I really wanted to be able to have really cool looking backgrounds and really huge monsters, like massive sea creatures. Um, yeah, so you can start next week. So by the time this podcast is out, it would have been out for about a month. Um, yeah, and I'm pretty happy with it. Okay, that's Mobilis? Mobilis, yeah. It's really good as well. It is really, really good. Awesome. I had, no part, I had no part in it, but it, <laughs> it's, it's also very good. Uh, Haas, anything else you uh, want folks to check out? Anything in um, particular? No, just uh, <laughs> just, go, okay. just, go, just go buy a copy of Felix and Macabre and Mobile okay. as well. Uh, yeah, otherwise, I'm good. All I'm right. Happy to, happy to be here. All right. Uh, Haas, I'll have to have you back for we can have our, our uh, board game chat. Where we can just talk <laughs> yes. about what it is we're what it is we're we're playing, um, uh, but yeah, thank you both uh, very much. Uh, so uh, the unlikely story of Felix and Macabre is out from Dark Horse October thirty first, twenty twenty three. Haas and uh, Junie, thank you so much for uh, for being on the podcast today. Thanks, and um, listeners, uh, make sure you pick it up. It was fantastic, especially. I, if you like comics and graphic novels, which I'm assuming you do since you listen to this podcast, but also if you have any, uh, you know, um, 10, 11, 12, 13, even older kids in your life who love comics or graphic novels, or you want to find something to introduce them to, I think this is great. I think it's accessible. I think uh, Junie's artwork is phenomenal. And I think anyone who looks at it is really going to love it and find something to enjoy in the story. And then, uh, you know, rate review and, uh, whatever else they tell you to do about podcasts so people uh, can find us and listen to it. And um, a shout out to my brother, uh, Bobby, the comic book Yeti's Crypto Creator Corner, number one most dedicated listener who listens to all my episodes. And he really gets a kick out of every episode when I mention him. Um, but thank you very much. And I will, uh, I'll see you next time. Thank you. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Crypto Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, 
how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.